Let us pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to see your good purpose spelled out in this world, that we would grow not dismayed when we struggle with sin or when we see evil pour over in the world, but rather know that you are working all things for good. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For my birthday, my wife gave me a spy book. I'm not entirely sure why she gave me a book about spies, but it ended up being really good, and I very much appreciated it, for the record, just so we, I don't get in trouble. But I found myself, as I got into it, I kind of could predict what was going to happen. But I could tell that at some point, this is a real story about a, a real spy, and he was a Russian spy who turned and ended up spying for England, and you could tell that at some point he was going to get, get out of Russia, but as it went on and on, it seemed more and more impossible. And it hit a point in the book where I couldn't put it down, and I just had to read it. And, and I, I made excuses to read, and I, I think there's probably a lot of worse things I could make excuses to do, so I don't feel too bad about that. But I wanted to finish it because I wanted to know the end of the story. And I think we've all had that, whether it be with a TV show or with a book, where we just get sucked into the story and we, we can't stop. We have to know what happens next. And, and we're now reaching, the reason I'm starting here is we're, we're reaching the end of Genesis and, and we now know how it ends. We conclude it. But if you're like me, it's, it's bubbling around in your head. And, and what I want to do this week, instead of, of looking at this passage specifically, Rather, think about this passage in light of the whole book of Genesis, which is a different task than we normally attend to. But we probably do this when we read a good book, but we, we tend to study Scripture by, by looking at a little chunk and thinking, well, that's nice, and then put it away. And then we look at another little chunk and think, well, that's nice, and we put it away. And we don't pause and think, what did this whole book say? And Genesis has a lot to teach us. And and I, I noticed it a lot more this time when I went through it. The very first thing we, we learn from Genesis is we learn of God's good purpose in the world. We learn that God is doing things for good. And we see this especially in that first chapter of Genesis. Remember, on the first day, God created this, and it was good. And the second day, so on and so forth. And it was good, it was good, it was good. And we learn that God created creation for good. <clears throat> and he proclaims all of creation is good. All the bugs and the birds and the bees and, and, and all the bees and C's and D's and all, and all of that and so on and so forth. Thank, thank you. <clears throat> but that includes like mosquitoes were created for good. Just stop and think about the consequence of this. Mosquitoes were created for good. I don't know what happened after the fall that made them so awful, but... They were good, and God proclaimed them as such. God created humanity for good, and he proclaims it not just good, but very good, because we are created in God's image and likeness, which denotes our relationship not only with the earth around us, but with God himself. He created us to have a relationship with him, and to represent him in his good creation. <clears throat> and 
And despite our rebellion, which we're going to get to, sorry, some, some bad news here as well, despite that, we're still created to represent God. And that's amazing. <clears throat> and finally, another part of God's good, good purpose in the earth is the good call of God. We see this with Adam and Eve. At first, just to tend to the garden, but then to be fruitful and multiply. We see this with Noah, where he repeats that same call to him. And again, with Abraham and his descendants, as he tells Abraham to go out into the world and to be a blessing to the world, that his descendants would be that blessing, which is amazing. And so throughout Genesis, we see that God has a good purpose and that God's will is always for the good of his creation. But then we get to the bad news. And whenever I talk about sin, it always seems like somebody gets really uncomfortable and then like sometimes we've had visitors and they've left and like wouldn't make eye contact with me and it's really awkward. And it always kind of makes me want to write a book called The Good News About Sin. Because I feel like maybe people would actually read that and, and recognize, yes, we're sinful, but this, isn't, this is bad news, right? It, it's a joke to say it's good news. But it takes the onerous off of us because it's God that's saving us. And so we have to bear that in mind when we think about the effects that sin has had on you and I and on the whole world. And so through Genesis, first and foremost, we learn about those horrible effects of sin. First and most importantly, they damage and in fact ruin our ability to have a relationship with God. Think about it. Adam and Eve lied to him. It's one of those really tragic and yet kind of hilarious moments in the Bible, right? If you remember way back to like the third Sunday after Trinity when God confronts them and Adam's like, well, she told me to. And Eve's like, well, the snake told me to. And nobody is willing to take responsibility, right? Like it's a little funny, but it's also super duper sad. They lie to God, and, and we do the same thing when we sin. <clears throat> but then we fast forward to their children, and of course we know the story of their children, we skipped over it in our study, but within a generation there's murder. And then we get to the people of Noah's time, and it's just in complete disarray, and they don't even know who God is at this point. And then people laugh at him even further along, and don't trust him or pursue him to seek out what his will is in difficult situations. It also affects our relationship with each other. right? Think about that example of where Adam blames Eve and then Eve blames the snake. Their, their relationship becomes stained with that sin that they've done. You know, instead of saying that we did that, I, you know, I should have told my wife not to do it, but, but we did. Adam and Eve are separated all of a sudden there. And then, it, and then, as I just mentioned, it takes one generation, and then we're murdering each other. And then Noah's age, let's not even go there. That one gets me in trouble, I think, because it's, it's bad. That's all we need to say. And then if we look at the lives of the patriarchs, like, they have a relationship with God. They should know better. And yet they lie, and they cheat, and they're deceitful to one another <clears throat> until they learn to fully trust that God has their best interests in mind. But it takes much of their life to realize this. Sin has an effect on our body. We learn in Genesis how sin enters into the world and death 
comes, that first death takes a long time to come, right? We read those crazy, those crazy long lives before the flood, but then the flood comes and, and God says, well, it's not good. The people should live this long. And then we see lives start to shorten until we only are able to live 120 years. And then the one that jumped out at me this time in reading through are the effects of sin on creation. There's a verse that I always remember from St. Paul about how creation groans for the return of Christ because of its corruption. It longs to be remade what it is. But, but it's not what it was, right? Think about our wonderful example of the mosquito. The mosquito is super annoying. At one point, the mosquito wasn't super annoying. But I didn't notice this until I read through it again. That Genesis really points out how affected creation is by the fall of mankind. <clears throat> and Moses points to this especially in the story of Noah and how creation even then is falling apart. And one of the the benefits of of actually having a strong theology of sin, not only because it frees us to simply trust Christ, is it helps us to understand evil in the world. The theology of nature being corrupted by our sin helps us to realize that when nature does something awful to us, it's the sin rolling through it. It's not judgment. It could be, but just because there's a flood that's horrible and people die doesn't mean that we're being judged, but it does mean that Nature has been corrupted by our sin, and so it will hurt us sometimes. But now let's move on to better news. Genesis screams of God's redemptive work. As early as Genesis 3, God is promising redemption. Remember that promise that one will crush the head of the snake. And then after Noah's rescue, we have yet another promise of redemption. We think of the rainbow as a promise for us to remember, oh, we won't be washed away by a flood in in totality, at least. But there's another part of that. When we think of a bow in the sky, it's that of a bow that points to God, that God one day would take upon himself the punishment for our sins, which, of course, we know happens in Christ. With Abraham, the promise becomes more and more exemplified or more clear to us. One, he starts to renew the fact that we are created to have a relationship with him. He makes himself known to Abraham. But but he tells Abraham that his offspring will be a blessing to the world. And if we remember, this reminds us of Jesus that comes, who is in fact an offspring of Abraham. And that he will be, that is, Abraham will be a great nation. And of course, Israel is a great nation. That was fulfilled. But a greater nation in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as we read about this morning, is coming. That you and I have been made citizens of that kingdom, of that greater nation. And this promise is repeated to each patriarch. And finally, God's redemption in Joseph if we read that whole thing as, as one chapter of the Bible, starting with Joseph's imprisonment all the way to today, and we thought about it in light of Scripture, in light of all that we know of all of Scripture, it would scream of the resurrection. It would scream of death and resurrection. <clears throat> but it also shows God's providential hand working out 
salvation in our sin. And the purpose of all of this redemption is to renew us to that place that we have lost. Throughout Genesis, we see that God wants us to be known and wants us to know him. Genesis shows this again and again and again. And so now we get to that wonderful verse in Genesis, at the end of Genesis. As Genesis wraps up, after what we read this morning, there's just a little chunk that kind of segues us into Exodus. But, but the real ending is this verse from Joseph. Joseph says to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This summarizes and concludes Genesis very tidily. He starts with this phrase, do not fear, and this is a phrase that pops up again and again and again throughout Genesis. And it is a habitual reminder throughout it that we should have soul-stirring reverence before God. We are a sinful people approaching a holy and mighty God. We should be a little reverent before him, a little cautious. But it also reminds us of the other side of that phrase, do not fear. We are not called to fear other human beings. Christ talks about this when he's preaching at one point where he says, do not fear him that can take away your life, that is, who can murder you. But fear the person that can, or fear him who can take away your soul. In other words, don't fear other people. Don't fear them because there's nothing so tragic that they can do to you that causes you to lose your soul. But it is God and God alone that preserves your soul unto eternity. That is good. Now we've seen the effects that sin has on, on, or that human evil and sin has on creation, that it has on humanity and on each other. And, God, and Joseph doesn't pretend he's not like, you know, it's okay, it's no big deal. It was a big deal. They sold him into slavery. It was evil, and it should be called evil. We don't need to pretend that something isn't evil. <clears throat> but he does see the bigger purpose that God used that situation for. And Joseph gives us hope in that. God uses the evil that we see throughout Genesis in his redemptive arc. We see that fall of humanity, and it comes to this point here. And at each point, we start to see, oh, God is using this to bring about something. And if we just look at it, in, in the context of Genesis, we can end with that statement of God is bringing about his good purpose and walk away. But if we zoom out even further, we see other things. We see God take his people down into Egypt as we did as we end here with, with Joseph. And they become a great people. But then God brings them back out of Egypt. And those 40 years of wandering in the desert show his people that they can know and trust God has a good purpose for them. And this is the same for us. 
just even looking at the life of Israel, we can know that God has a good purpose for his church. He will not abandon you, even in your time of need. And he gives them the law and the prophets. He gives them the law so that they might have life. And when they obey, they flourish. And when they rebel against the law, they die. The law is there not as this sort of rigorous, obnoxious thing that pens us in and makes us feel sad, but to show us our desperate need for God in our lives. And when we have Christ in our lives, when we're obeying him, we will flourish. And when we rebel, we will walk towards death. God points to a greater redeemer. The coming of Christ fulfills that all that which is pointed to in Genesis. The blessing, the greater kingdom, and even the foreshadowing of Joseph. And God redeems the world in Christ. He opens the door through Christ for salvation, for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and that we one day will be new creations. That all that has caused, that all that has rocked, All that has caused us pain through sin and suffering will be made new. Joseph says these amazing words that we can hold in our heart. But God meant it for good. Think about that statement for a second. But God meant it for good. He does not know how full this statement is, but he knows that because of his suffering, many, many, many people lived, including his family. And if we zoom out, we can think about the crucifixion of Christ as kind of the pinnacle example of, but God meant it for good. Think about the the passion reading where we read and we all respond and, and, and all of that. Think about who betrays Christ. First, there's Judas. His friend sells him out for a bag of silver. Then there's the crowd that yells, crucify him. Or the religious leaders who make up things about him that that basically have a sham trial. And then there's Pilate, the governor, who tries to kind of distance himself from it, but he's the governor, If he really wanted to, he could have gotten Jesus out of it. But he just washes his hands and says, well, do what you want to do. You might not be Pilate or Judas, but you you could probably sympathize with one of these people, knowing that there have been times where you could have done good and failed to, knowing in times that there have been times where you thought as they group and yelled something that you know you shouldn't have or been the religious leaders who lied, or Judas, who betrayed his friend. We are all culpable. And if we were there, we would probably have fit very nicely into one of these groups, as painful as it was is to say. So it is humanity that crucifies Christ. But God permits that horrifying day because he is going to use it for good. He is going to use that horrible day that we now call Good Friday because we know that out of it comes our salvation. 
Christ dies in your place. The sting of death that Adam and Eve brought about stings no more. Think about that. So as we close the book of Genesis this morning, we remember some very basic things. We remember how Genesis shows us that the world was created for goodness, that the world was very good. We remember the depth and tragedy of sin, how it affects the world, how it affects us personally, how it affects the people that we sit next to this morning. But we remember that good news that God, but God, is redeeming all of this for good. I don't know how many of you watch the news. I should stop watching the news because it's horrible. Every time I turn it on, I think, how could it actually have gotten worse than it was yesterday? But here we are. And I I was watching what's going on in Russia and just the horror of that situation. And I just can't wrap my mind around a, a war where everybody says, this is a terrible idea, and one man is able to say, no, it's a great idea, and I'm going to make you fight it for me. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. And I, it, it's horrifying, uh, truly, truly horrifying. Wh- whatever the horrors that you face, this is one of the things that's been rattling around in my poor little bri- brain this past week. But whatever, whatever horrors you face, whatever heartache you face, know that it's not the end of the story. The insanity of Putin is not the end of the story. Somehow, God is beginning out to work out some sort of salvation. God is bringing about some sort of good. And we may not see it in our lifetime. We may not see it in our children's lifetime. But one day we will know when we get to the kingdom of heaven that God has worked this all out for good. And that God will use you and I, as long as we stay steadfast in Christ, to be a blessing unto many. So take heart, but God will mean it for good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.